Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Drexel Basketball Podcast. Today on the show, we have Zach Spiker, coach of your Drexel Dragons. You're my Nates, everybody's Drexel Dragons. So, uh, Coach Spiker, welcome to the show. Make sure to say hey. that while you're drinking water. Get yeah, that's all right, up. Dan, Nate. Um, happy to be on and look forward to uh, talking with you guys this next uh, seven hours. It's good. We, we're going to have to cut it to five. Okay. But listeners, I think, uh, get excited for a for a good long record, and we'll have, I think, six or seven of these this week, is my understanding. So, uh, no, we're, we're, um, we're thrilled to have you. This has been a fun medium for us to play with. Uh, you know, I'd written for a while, but I think the, the podcast is letting some more folks come on board, and we hope to do some more of these over the summer, um, not just with you, Coach, but but with others around the program. And, and uh, it's great for you guys to come on and kind of keep us abreast of what's going on in the building and, and give us some, some feedback. I always think that one of the biggest challenges we have as a smaller fan base is a disconnect at times between the fans and what's going on in the building. And there's no great outlet. You know, we have the official outlets that put out the official message, right? But then there's stuff that kind of I mean, it doesn't belong there, but, you know, would be helpful for fans to know. And I think that, um, that this has been a cool way of, of, of kind of touching on some of that. So thank you for joining us for, I know, joining the Dragons cast guys in the past and um, everything you've been willing to do uh, throughout your six years here to, um, to kind of make, keep the fans involved in the program. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And uh, I don't think yet I've been to an opportunity or a situation where I've said no. Uh, maybe the timing hasn't been right immediately, but uh, I've always wanted to do anything, whether it's a podcast or speaking to a, a fraternity, whatever it may be. Uh, I'm happy to, to jump in and help promote our school and our athletic department and our, and our basketball programs. Yeah, um, and Coach, just echo, thank you again. It's it's really neat you came here. And I'm sitting here thinking again, just like you saying your openness to meet with us, you know, just a couple of guys. Um, that's a sounds a good message across the board, all our fans and in the athletic department too. Um, and hopefully something we can get to kind of spread around. And like you said to us too, it's all about we love Drexel basketball. That's where it comes from. And yeah, maybe we say things and hurt feelings here or there, but we all come from the right place. So um, but really thank you for taking some time. Um so and I know you seem like the type, you don't want to pat yourself on the back and everything, but um, I think I share with you, I was overseas when you got hired. And then plus, you know, you figure the pandemic hits and we don't really get to know each other that well. So just want to take a little bit of time. Um, if you wouldn't mind, tell us about yourself. Like, where are you from? Um, and what got you into basketball? Um, just, you know, wanted to, was, was curious about those sorts of things, if you don't mind sharing some of that with us. Yeah, I think everyone's uh, got a love for the game that's developed at some point. Um, at some you know time, and certainly it started at a very young age for myself, uh, having the chance to grow up around an athletic department in Morgantown, West Virginia, uh, where my dad was an athletic trainer uh, for the football team there, and uh, had the chance to to be around that and to see West Virginia basketball, and it really was my first kind of introduction to Philadelphia basketball because uh, you know West Virginia Eastern Eight. Then the Atlantic 10, and during those days in the Atlantic 10, you certainly had St. Joe Temple. Uh, LaSalle was not in the Atlantic 10 at the time, but uh, a lot of games you'd watch on TV or be, were played in the palestra. Uh, so you kind of had the introduction to what Philadelphia basketball was. Uh, and then a couple different times, conference tournaments were played in Morgantown. And uh, I vividly know I missed class, <laughs> whatever that age was. I was skipping class and going to those games and 
you know, just to see some really, really good St. Joe teams and some really good Temple teams uh, all the way back and Nate Blackwell or, you know, watching Aaron McKee and Eddie Jones just dominate uh, for so long. But uh, that's, that's definitely where those where that seed was planted, if you will. And, and, and where do you go to college? And, and it's briefly about your, you know, maybe your playing career. And then what uh, you I, I, can, <laughs> I can speak briefly about it because it was a brief career. Um, but um, that's easy to do. But um, I went to Ithaca College. I wanted to major in communications and broadcasting, um, but also wanted to play and uh, had the opportunity to play and be a part of some teams there coached by uh, Tom Baker and Jim Mullins. And, um, from that time, I got the chance to know Sherry Dobbs, who was an assistant coach there. And uh, when it was very clear my opportunity on the floor to play was going to be over, um, I still loved being around the game and coaching and had a chance to spend some time uh, my final year there as, as a student assistant coach. Uh, that also led to um, a few more classes missed, um, this time uh, going to do uh, scouting reports and watching other teams and making recruiting calls. And uh, I was hooked. It was done. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. And, and you went, so from, from what, tell me what was your, your path toward the year at Army and then you ended up with us, but any, like what other stops did you make on the way? I'm always amazed with coaches. I feel like you, you look at their bios and it's like they're bouncing all over the country to get different opportunities. Was that your situation or, you know, how did that play out for you? I think mine is a little bit more, um, direct and, and you know more straight straighter line than than others yeah um but uh you know I, I remember being a senior in college and knowing this is what i wanted to do and just reading different bios about different coaches in their past and had a connection to some other coaches and would talk to them and listen and you know to me it was an exciting opportunity to move around the country uh, but when uh, last year or whenever it was i was going recruiting and I, I think we've all been in that situation where you had the GPS and you think you're supposed to go straight. You're not sure you're supposed to get out that exit or the next exit a hundred yards down the road and you miss that exit. And then what looks like a straight line on the GPS becomes this absolute just snake that has just curled around 25 different directions. And uh, that happened to me <laughs> in New York city I was going across the GW bridge and you got to get going up towards New England area. And, uh, it's just a natural, once you do it a couple of times, you know, it. but I took a screenshot of the GPS that was going across the bridge. Cause I was like, this is, this is what a lot of people's paths are in their life. But it doesn't matter what the career path is, right? It, sometimes it looks like you're going all over the map and you know, you're going to get from A to B, but there's a whole lot of stops in between. So I would say my career is a little bit like that. Um, having left Ithaca, New York, and going down to Winthrop University uh, for two years with Greg Marshall, uh, and then two years with John Beeline, now the newly minted Hall of Fame coach, John Beeline, uh, West Virginia, and then five seasons as an assistant coach at, at Cornell with Steve Donahue before having a chance to go to Army. So uh, not a whole lot of stops, but I think the quality uh, of those situations were very, very um uh, educational and, and formative for me as a coach. Yeah. And I, and we, I talked, I listened to that podcast on that West Virginia broadcast and I was just, I didn't know that pedigree and the people that you'd work with. I was like, wow. I mean, those are some names. So I'm not, 
I'm not like Dan. I don't know as much college basketball. I'm, I'm spread out to dork track racing and all this other stuff, but I knew those names right away. I was like, man, that's impressive. So um, but tell us, I'm just curious as Army, what was it like coaching there and, and um, in that environment? Well, it's an incredible opportunity, you know, and, and even just to at the point in time I was in Chicago recruiting just to have the chance to interview for the job. I knew we had a very, very good basketball team coming back at Cornell. We'd won two championships already. Uh, you had 13 players living in one house. Uh, it was a really tight team. Everybody got along. Uh, we were excited. But the opportunity to do that, um, to just interview there, was something that I felt like I couldn't pass up. Initially, said I wasn't interested because I was excited about the team, but um, interviewed and was offered a job. And, and you know, th that's a group of guys that um, we worked really hard to get some guys in there to, uh, you know, that played the way we wanted to play in there. But to your point, Nate, it's so much more than basketball. I think as it is anywhere, though, to be honest with you. And it's just an incredible group of young men um, that we had a chance to coach and, and, and work with. And uh, they're just uh, they're just special guys, and I still have a picture of those different graduating classes in my office. Uh, it's a good reminder, of kind of your own path and and what's important. Pictures. Of, I've got a list of names of guys that have gotten married that I need to get pictures from the weddings we've attended. Uh, so, but that's the same thing, Nate. I, I don't think that that's an army thing. I think that's a, a priority that our coaching staff has made whether we're at Army at Drexel, we want to have those relationships and be around special kids that want to be at the school. Those kids really wanted to be at West Point. They wanted to serve our country, and they're special kids. Well, guess what? We want guys that want to be at Drexel, right, and serve a community and be involved, and uh, that's what we're working hard to identify and find. Yeah, it makes me think of the comment you made of that that podcast, you, and I pointed out to a couple of people, you said, uh, about restaurants that they're only open for certain times during the day. And it's basically like when we're out of food, we're out of food. Um, and I, that struck a good nerve with me. Like I'm in healthcare and even what I do, it's, it's become such a customer service oriented business. I feel like everything's gone that route. I always envy those kind of restaurants and it's like, you know what, this is when we're open. This is what we make. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. And it, it's refreshing. I know you have to balance that. You have to, especially these days, probably massage those relationships, but um, really it was, that hit home with me. I really appreciated hearing that, you know, it, it made a lot of sense. So. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. First off, <laughs> but uh, I, I do, th I believe in it. I believe in it. I'm not, um, this isn't something that uh, studying for a test and hoping to pass just kind of speaking what's on, what's on my mind and what's on our heart as a coaching staff that we are going to build relationships with our players. We are going to make contributions to our athletic department and we're going to serve the community of West Philadelphia. Uh, and I can say that, one, because that's been something that's part of my history and been impacted by certainly my mother and my father, but also my brother and sister and have helped encourage me to kind of have a personal mission. And uh, I think if you can go by that to invest in the players you're trying to coach, uh, you know, contribute and in, in be engaged in the athletic department uh, and make lasting relationships there. And then also be where your feet are or whatever that community is, invest in it, serve in it, mentor it, uh, be involved with the young people in the community. And, you know, and it's been difficult because COVID where we had built momentum in certain areas, has kind of stopped some of that. But I think that we're coming out of that now and really looking forward to, uh, 
to serving the community of West Philadelphia even more so in the upcoming years. Yeah, uh, and the other comment you made that the, the lawnmower comment that that really stuck home too. Yeah, you, you fight with your wife over who cuts the grass. So that that's my <laughs> time too to kind of take a break. I really appreciate that. And I'll just uh, comment as far as you lost some progress in the community related to COVID. That you couldn't have won a championship at a better time. Um, that's coming from somebody you know in in healthcare fighting those battles. Like it's, you know, Dan and I have this um, podcast as a way to to kind of deal with everything. I can't. I'll speak for myself. It was a perfect time and. Um, so thank you. So you, you made an impact doing that, uh, for sure. But, um, well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Nate. And, uh, as I said at the time, uh, I know Dan felt that way, but, uh, and we're on to pursuing another one. We're not going to talk too much about two years ago, but, uh, that was a championship for everybody. That was not just for the 13 scholarship players on that roster, or our coaching staff, that was for every team that, it had snubs in the past. That was for everyone that's ever been uh, hosted a co-op, co-op employer, every student at Drexel University. That was that was for everybody. And so I'm glad that you uh, took some pride in it. Yeah. No. Um, and, 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 and to transition, and because I know we've gone to some other things, um, you know, like, so coming to Drexel, what was that transition like? And, you know, what were some maybe surprises you had coming in, some things that you thought, you know, were better than you thought, not as good as you thought? I mean, how, what was that transition like? Yeah, I, I would say that, uh, you know, one of the challenges was is the names you write down on the roster and who is there from the day that you accept the opportunity to the guys that made it to um, that opening game. Um, there was quite a bit of change and really, I think, some key pieces. And uh, some of it personality, personalities didn't match others, health reasons, others, maybe style of play. So it just didn't probably come to fruition from what was on paper in the spring to what was in a uniform uh, for one reason or another in the fall made that made that a pretty tough transition. Uh, and certainly I think style of play was, was significant. Um, but I do think uh, a foundation was laid and opportunities were given. Um, you know, you think about a guy like Austin Williams who played uh, Dan, you'll have the numbers, but didn't play a lot in two years and graduated as an all-conference player and uh, is still playing professional basketball. I'm not sure that many probably anticipated that um, after his freshman season. Yeah, let me let me take you down our, our first offshoot here. But Austin Williams was the guy who came to mind to, with me, with, for me when, when you were talking about players who didn't fit the system. Right. When, when I think about a, a Zach Williams or Zach Spiker, a prototypical big man, Austin Williams is not, you know, maybe in the top thousand names that I would think about. I think Dan Crane's got a shot to be above him somewhere. And, 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 no, shot. and no shot. I respectfully will, will disagree. I am taking Austin Williams over Dan Crane every single time, Nate. I want that to be on the record. OK, we can put that one on the record. Yeah. Right. Um, but he's, he's not he's not a, he's not a, he's not a runner. He's not a rim protector. You know, he's 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 a great player. He was, he was, he was, he really became, turned into something while he was here. And he was, uh, it was almost prideful to see him on the floor because I really loved what he did and the fact that he stuck with the program. You know, a guy was blue and gold, right? So, um, but it, it took me to, um, we always said for a long time with, with Brew, you know, if he had shooters, right? If he would just recruit some shooters, you know, this, this, this could all come together. And then, you know, um, we, we finally find, um, you know, he, he doesn't have that. We, we kind of mix in your shooters and his guys, and we have something going for a little bit there. And 
Um, I, I always wonder about coaches who recruit to their style, um, almost getting shoehorned into that style, right? You know, sometimes that exposure to something else, having something else on the roster, you know, can can help them out. And I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on, you know, diversification, I guess, of skill sets, maybe. Yeah, I, I think um, I think college coaches sometimes, if they're not careful, can be some of the least creative coaches in the game. Where high school coaches, especially at the public high school level, where they're coaching who's in their school district and who shows up for tryouts. Uh, and one year they might say, hey, we don't have the foot speed. We got to go zone or, wow, we're really big. We need to run uh, a flex and, and just hammer the ball inside all the time. So I think that there's different styles of play. But the reality is our job as coaches is to make guys better and improve them. And, uh, you know, I think Stretch and I to this day uh, have a really special relationship and he ended up being a captain. He was a leader. Um, he's a self-made player. And it was this time going into his senior year that you would see Austin Williams running down to Penn's Landing and back. All right? If you're from Philadelphia and you know where Drexel is on 34th, you know where Penn's Landing is, that's six miles. I used to stop at the Liberty Bell. I never made it that far. Yeah, right. So <laughs> so you couldn't play for us, Nate. Uh, but if you think about it, Stretch came out. And, you know, and some very ball dominant guards and some good basketball players and Tremaine and Kirk on, on that team, um, he probably should have had more low post touches. And uh, as soon as he hears this podcast, he'll text me and tell me that. But, uh, you know, I love his growth and his development and his process because um, he just he was a uh, Dan, I think you said he wasn't a rim protector. I, I disagree. I think he was a, a dominant shot blocker. And uh, can you guys hear that above there? A little bit. Sorry. The noise, that's construction in the arena upstairs. So uh, that's the sound of evolution and progress. So I think it's a beautiful music to my ears, to be honest with you. But um, no, Stretch, Austin Williams, I can't say enough good things about Austin Williams and his personal commitment to improving. And um, you're right. Sometimes I think you got to learn and win different ways. And um, I think Stretch has kind of helped me evolve in different ways. And maybe if we didn't have that experience, I wouldn't have been as um, excited about Amari Williams um, when we saw him, you know, as we were recruiting Mate Ogres. Just on the topic, too, you forming relationships. I try to limit how much Twitter I ingest throughout the day, but I happen to see it. It looks like he had a picnic for the team last night. And, you know, he commented, the kids are growing up fast. I barely recognize them. So I, I happened to see that this morning. I was like, Wow. Who said that? That was Austin Williams. So it just oh, so it just shows that relationship, you know, that, that you built there. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah it's funny because uh, as he was leaving town, and he's like, "I, I got to get out of town and get back to Richmond." I stretch. You can get on ninety five right by our house. Like, don't act like it's an inconvenience to to go that way. Um, but uh, our kids were excited to just see him one more time, and uh, and that to me. Um, that's how I grew up and that's exactly where I want our kids to grow up to be around a team and to have mentors and good role models and yeah, stretches, stretches, uh, is, is a great person and a really good basketball player. Well, we touch on alumni, <coughs> social media sightings. I saw Sammy Givens look like he was in the deck the other day. Uh, is he, uh, interacting with the team right now? Yeah, Sammy, Sammy comes in at a certain time. Um, he is certainly a, a vet's vet at this point in his career. Um, our guys were out of town 
Now they're back. I think he's in California. He was out there with Dame for the parade, from what I understand. Uh, I was at a, a tournament with his dad's team, uh, Academy New Church, last week, and Sammy was out in L.A. playing a tournament. So he, he's seen and met our new guys. Um, I don't know if he's had a chance to meet all of them just based on his schedule, but you know that's something I, I love the idea of having our guys around. I know we had Phil Goss back and speak. Malik has been back certainly numerous times. Uh, but I think the more that we uh, engage our former players, uh, Rob Battle was just in here the other day um, getting some treatment on his back. So I love it when our former players are around um, and our and our young guys get to see them because then it just is an organic conversation. Hey, how you doing? What was your time like here? They're getting to know each other. I think it's uh, it's what a program is about. And that's not just one team. It's it's welcome to the family type of conversations. And uh, so we do as much as we can to uh, encourage those interactions. I'll try to drive us back to the script a little bit here. The, um, <laughs> you know, we, we can go. We, I don't want to be boring, boring the current students who I'm sure are, are clamoring to listen to this. Um, but the, uh, um, you know, you took a significant jump a couple of years ago. Obviously, going to the tournament was a, was a big deal. But more, you know, I, I I don't want to say more importantly that the, the championship is the most important thing, but the the jump that the team seems to have made from that kind of um, mid-tier, low-tier CAA team towards a to a contender now in back-to-back years, you know, um, was was great to see, and, and that's kind of that's sustained success, right? Like I think think you know when you start talking about uh, elevating things, you want sustained success and are signs of that. How do you then take this team from kind of a a you know contender in the CAA to you know, maybe cracking that top 100 in the country, you know, you know, I think uh, I'm curious a, to know what your goals are, but B, then, you know, kind of how you get, how you accomplish this, what your vision is. Yeah, I think we all have the same vision. We want to continue to keep growing and keep climbing up that mountain, right? Um, and how do you do that? I think, you know, there can be varying perspectives or, or, or uh, on how that can be done. Um, one of the, the lessons I, I kind of go back to, and I have a lot of football references in my life, but uh, Tony Dungy, I think, is an incredible coach in person, was the coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And they played the Jaguars in the final regular season game of the season. The Jaguars ran for like 300 yards. Dan, this would be good for you to look up. I'm not sure what year it was. The Jaguars beat the Colts and ran all over them in the final regular season game. And then they're scheduled to play the first round of the playoffs. So the next week, it's basically a rematch. And Tony Dungy meets with his team, and he brings everybody in. Here's what they did. Here's what happened. And now we're going to play this team. Here's going to be the scouting report. And there was kind of a – from what I have read, I certainly I wasn't in the room, but I think a lot of people ex expected to be a very different plan of attack. And he said, we are going to do the exact same thing, and we're going to do it better. And they turned around – and they beat the heck out of the Jaguars, and they went on one of their playoff runs while he was the coach there. So to me, it's always been something to take home. It's like, listen, stay the course with what we're doing. Continue on this course that we're on. Uh, we've shown that we've had some consistency. To have uh, a top-four finish, to win the conference tournament from a sixth seed, to go to the NCAA tournament, um, those are all arrows in our win-loss um, overall win-loss, I believe, has gone up or stayed the same every year we've been here. So we're on a path. 
and we got to continue to evaluate and recruit players that match our program and, and quite frankly, speak Dragon, which I'll, I'll talk more about that later on. But um, I, I think we're on a path, and I think we've continued to do that. So we want to take that Tony Dungy approach and be consistent. Um, staff continuity is important. Um, enhancing and involving our student-athlete experience, right? Our, our, our fan experience, enhancing that, right? What are the noises you're hearing right now, right? That's something that's going to make the DAC hopefully – um, the epicenter for activity on campus, right? Our games need to be the main feature attraction um, in the DAC, along with wrestling and women's basketball, that um, we're going to have video boards and a sound system and lighting and ribbon boards that just um, bring so much energy that people are attracted to when is the next event here and how can I get a ticket to be in here and be a part of it. Is there is there something specific on the court you're looking to do? Is there something uh, you know a, a goal or a metric that you want to see? No, I, I would say that we want to play faster. Um, you know, there's a book written by Marshall Goldsmith. What got you here won't get you there. And I would say you all, you're always continuing to evolve and tinker with with things and styles of play and defensively. Uh, and again, uh, I think credit comes way too much in one area or blamed. We've got a really good staff. And, you know, Will Chavis, defensively-minded. Paul Fortier, defensively-minded. Justin Jennings takes great pride in, in creating diversity on our offensive attack. And what's great is we're talking about three professional coaches that have had success in every area. So just because one coach is focused on, you know, man-to-man -man defense doesn't mean they're not going to jump in and make a suggestion on the offensive end. So um, I do think that our – Point of attack has been very uh, Cam Winter-centric um, the last handful of years for good reason, uh, but I would like to have a little bit more diversity in our attack and not rely on one person as much. Um, that wasn't always the plan with Cam. We wanted him to play with other guards, um, and, and I think this year we'll have a chance to have other guards to play, other wings, um, and, and guys that can do different things, and then also – you know, lean on our low post presence and our activity of our players. And certainly Amari Williams and Garfield Turner and, and Cole Hargrove. So, um, and those are names that some of those names you guys haven't heard yet. I hope you hear a lot of, um, but uh, I, I think our offensive attack, if it can be more diverse, it can be more difficult to prepare for. And when things are difficult to prepare for and scout for, uh, it allows you to be more efficient and then a guy like Coltrane Washington can get loose. And then once you focus on him, Okers gets going. And when you focus on him, Williams gets going, right? And we're not talking about Lamar Odin, who's been working as hard as anybody and had as good an offseason as anyone. And, and there's no one that sets a tone in terms of ethic, work ethic on a daily basis in Luke House. And um, Luke probably uh, gets a little bit overlooked, uh, but he had the single biggest made three-point shot in, in regular season to force us into that seed so we weren't in a play-in game during the pandemic. Uh, I think you guys remember that shot, right? Three-pointer at JMU. Uh, and then, you know, we played Charleston this year, and I played Luke House in the first half, had a mismatch um, in favor of Charleston and worked his butt off on defense and got a deflection. And I think to anyone inside our program, they know when that deflection happened, where the ball went out of bounds, 
and the energy that just came from Luke House working his butt off. So I'm excited to have multiple guys and multiple you know, players that can really get going uh, and, and really help us. So, and I'll talk more about other guys, but uh, as we go along here, but um, I do think you're looking for a metric. I always think if you can be in the top three um, with offensive efficiency and the top three defensive efficiency, you're putting yourself in position um, to have success in March. And certainly uh, we did that two years ago. We had the number one offense in the league. And then this past season, we had the number three defense in the league, which was a significant jump. Dan, I'm sure you'll appreciate that. And then offensively, we were at five. So I think we can be a little more diverse and play with a little more offensive pace. Let's keep that defensive number up there and, and get that offensive number back in the top three. Why do I say top three? That's probably 20 years of, uh, of stats and analytics breaking down leagues that we've had a chance to coach in. And when you look and see the leagues that have, the teams that have won those leagues, they're always in the top three. I think there's one exception with the Lehigh team with C.J. McCollum. The defensively, they weren't as good, but they had an NBA player on the offensive end, so there was a little bit of drop-off there. Yeah, he was okay. He was okay. Somebody uh, posted um, on Twitter a couple weeks ago, and I can't give credit because I can't remember who it was. That's my memory, and that is what it is. But uh, uh, the message board conversation that the Charleston fans were having after they just played Davidson with freshman Stephon Curry, and how this kid was too small. He was never—he's probably a pretty good shooter, but he was never really going to make it. Um, and and, and it, was, it was, you know, it's it's funny to see see that stuff and look at the other leagues and can see how things go by. But yeah, one player can can change a lot. Very so quickly Dan, am I count. correct in saying that you are going back, Nate? Are we, he's retroactively reading message boards of other teams in our league from ten to twelve years ago. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was just my, I was trying my my chance claim to fame. I was at the Lehigh Duke game. I grew up in the Lehigh Valley. I was there. I saw CJ McCollum. So I actually for a birthday present part of it, I found a jersey for like thirty bucks. So it's a Lehigh McCollum jersey, and I figured that was better than a Blazers jersey or wherever he is now. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna chime in on that. Yeah, the great quote after that game when Duke played Lehigh was Coach K said McCollum was the best player on the floor. And and you think about uh, athletically. Probably not as gifted as a number of the Duke players, and certainly in the recruiting process, both McCollum and Curry probably didn't pass the eye test out of high school for local teams like Ohio State or Virginia Tech um, to go on them, uh, and then they went to other places. And I think it's really something to be said. And, and look where they are now, right? So, uh, and, and we use that as something as evidence that come to Drexel. Right. Have a great career, have success, find success, sustain it. And you might be in a better position than you are if you go somewhere else and you sit and there's other people around and the opportunity to play and you can't play through mistakes um, might not be in your favor and you don't get to develop and grow. Is that kind of part of your you know, recruiting philosophy? Because I'll be honest, and Coltrane Washington's a thought. I'm guilty of it. I think he went to like a satellite Penn State school or something like that. And you see that and you're like, you know, what could that kid do? But, you know, is that part of your philosophy, you know, to, to kind of find those diamonds in the rough and, you know, do they fit what you need and you kind of polish them? And is that something you think about? Absolutely. I, I think um, you want to get into battles that you can, you know, we all, everybody likes the same players, right? Good basketball players are good players. Everyone likes the same players. Um, 
It's who you can get to your campus and who can you get to be excited to come to Drexel for the opportunities that we have to be a part of a, uh, a high-end academic program, a top 100 academic degree, to be in one of the best mid-major leagues in the country, and the people that want to be in one of the best, bas the best basketball city for college basketball in America, in Philadelphia. So, yeah, that's part of it. You want to find guys that are excited about what we have, and then we're excited about what their potential can be. And I think our staff has a track record. It's proven uh, that we recruit people on what they can become, not necessarily where they are right now. Um, no better example than Cam Winter. Right, Cam Winter, I believe, had a couple other scholarship offers. I know that USC Upstate and Kennesaw State were involved, and then one of those coaches mentioned to us they didn't think he was good enough, and uh, you know, you know, we quietly just kind of let them have their opinion, and we had ours, and uh, now he's had a career to the point that uh, you know, as he used his COVID year to go somewhere else, uh, I don't think Penn State was even going to watch him play at all out of high school. Um, so absolutely, we're, we're looking for those guys that that uh, fit what we're talking about. We chart it, we, we, we analyze it, uh, and then we want people to help us. Absolutely. Coltrane's a great example. I think he's poised to have a, a very, very good year um, and really finish the year uh, in a way where he was the uh, – sorry, I just got a, got a text there – uh, witness Coltrane was probably one of our better defensive players. Yeah, he's come a long way. Uh, sorry, I, I missed that for a second. I was looking at a 30 year old ivyhoops.com post. Um, but <laughs> I, I, um, it's a great point, and, and it, it kind of takes us on to kind of, um, I want to talk in particular about the COVID year and kind of the mayhem that that's caused, right? So you have, you have, right, you have the transfer transfer portal kind of rears its head. You have NIL rear its head. You have, then you have this bonus here, right? So, um, you know, I think the transfer portal, uh, obviously in NIL are permanent, right? That's the, at least a, a step in the, the direction that the, the industry seems to be going. Um, but the COVID year now with a fifth year of eligibility, suddenly, you know, you, you can't just, it's not that just that you can transfer and not said it's, it's that you can, you can have that extra time in school. Um, so you have, 20% more players that are eligible for the portal, right? So eventually that's going to stop, right? And, and, and there should be less supply from an economic standpoint. There should be less supply into the portal, right? Um, there should be less players going in. Uh, what the permanent piece here is the transfer portal and an IL, right? So how, A, do you think it is worse today, not worse today, but different today because of that COVID year? And, and will things back that back off a little bit? We're going to see some some kind of return towards not normalcy, but somewhere between where it is now and where it was? Or do you think that kind of the mayhem of the transfer portal was now permanent? Well, I think the volume, the sheer volume is up because you're adding, an, you know, with the COVID. Um, however, I also think from a uh, mindset standpoint, um, there are people that if they don't like what's going on right away, right, they end up not fighting through things um, and there's not enough grit from a societal standpoint. Um, and that's why you got to be really careful uh, who you're bringing in. You want guys that are willing to fight and, and do that. So um, I do think NIL and the portal are going to push the time frame of recruiting much deeper into the spring and early summer 
than it has in the past because people can decide when to go based on summer school or even later, right? I got a stack of names and there's a story around every one of these names, guys. And you can see this is a couple inches thick. Every one of these guys is someone we've talked to throughout the spring and summer. And some of those guys haven't decided where they're going yet, right? But we needed to decide who wanted to be with us. And I couldn't be more thrilled with the guys that we've added to our program because they understand what we're about. So, Dan, I do think I do think the, the modern day recruiting model is evolving and we've got to adapt with it and we've got to continue to keep the main things about what makes Drexel great, great and educate people. Nothing's changing. Right. NIL and portal, what have you. The city of Philadelphia isn't less of a basketball town. Right. The CAA is not becoming a worse basketball league. In fact, I think the CAA is trending upward as one of the better mid-major leagues in America. And I think throughout the summer that will, that will continue to show its show that to be the case. And then also academically Drexel is only going to become a better school and a better destination. Uh, and it's really people understanding what the co-op is about people understanding all the things that you can accomplish after leaving Drexel and, and be involved with. I think those things are only positives for us in this situation, but it involves a staff that's turning over every single rock and educating people about what we have to offer. And then people wanting to be involved in it. And there's a lot of stories where people don't want to do it. And if they don't want to do it, that's fine. We have to move on to somebody else. I can tell you, I feel like we've got a roster of people that are excited about our staff and about our league and about the opportunity to be at Drexel university. I just said, uh, I, I, I'll, I have to get going soon. I, I just want to try and cause to follow up on that. And then what you said earlier about, you know, the enthusiasm, making the, the games an event around campus. Um, and certainly you know, your staff, you know, you, you guys take that responsibility of getting kids, you know, bringing kids that speak dragon and stuff. I think like we could do as fans, I feel like part of our podcast too is, you know, hopefully maybe somebody will listen and be like, you know, yeah, I'm going to go to the games this year. Um, are there any other barriers you see with again, making, you know, the, the games, you know, kind of an event um, and anything that you could see that we could help with, you know, as a fan base and that sort of thing? Yeah, Nate, that's a great question. I, I would use the same answer. And I, I love this phrase. I just we want people to speak dragon, you know, whatever that means to each individual. But what are they doing to promote Drexel University, Drexel Athletics and our basketball programs? Right. And all of the teams. Um, that are on campus, are we, are we a group that appreciates the opportunity and does everything we can to make the most of it? And quite frankly, we're a gritty bunch. We want to be a guy. I've had a chance to listen to other podcasts. You hear PJ Fleck talk about um, a crack in the shoulder is better than a chip on the shoulder because once you have success, the chip falls off. If the crack in the shoulder, that's part of you forever. And we want guys with a crack in our shoulder that are playing with something to prove all the time. Um, so I, I love that analogy. I also love the analogy of a golf ball that initially a golf ball was smooth, right? And once it got hit and became more dented, right, it flew further. And with, with the analogy being that um, a dented golf ball flies further, a ball that has a few dents in it has some adversity and you go through that together and you fly further. So 
that's exactly what we want when we say speak dragon. We want people that are proud of our guys, that they connect with them and they come on the floor on campus, you know, but also make this a place. And I love the phrase that Coach Callie Perry used when he was the head coach of UMass. He wanted to create a love affair between the players and, and the student section and the fans and the DAC pack, right? And I think that has been something that's been part of Drexel Athletics, and we want to continue to build it up to, to get to that point again and make it where the environment is not only fun for the student athlete, but also, also for the fans. And if you can imagine, we're talking about making this the spot you go to dominate and have great success, and it's an incredible environment, and then you go from here to a professional career, right? We know where Dame is at Golden State, right? From Drexel, right? We also know, right, Drexel drafted Ryan Rollins from Toledo and Pat Baldwin Jr. from Milwaukee, okay? So it is very obvious that there's a path to the NBA from mid-major programs. We've also mentioned Steph Curry and C.J. McCollum on this podcast, okay? So why can we not attract and find talented guys that are willing to fight and work every single day in the offseason and, and develop that grit and that toughness to find success on the floor in our league and position themselves to be a professional basketball player. Yeah. I think that's, that's not just the work of the coaching staff. That's, that's everybody involved in our athletic department, our university. And I squarely, and I strongly believe that involves um, our student and our, our student fan section, our student section and our overall fan base. If this is an environment we jump in and we support our guys and we do everything we can in the proper way, uh, I think that we can make this a very, very special place and very fun place to play and to come watch a game. Yeah, and another good message to come out of this conversation, I agree with it. We don't really have a sports culture, but I think we also, Drexel doesn't have this like, you know, we're going to stick our chest out and be like, dude, we're Drexel, man. We're awesome. You know, because you got Penn next door and, you know, you have all the other school, Villanova winning national championships. Although I'd argue this is a great time for us to rise because, you know, some of the other schools are unfortunately down. But um, well, Nate, I, I respectfully would disagree and push back on that. I do think we stick our chest out a little bit. You think about the last two seasons, right? Both men's and women's lacrosse have been the postseason. Women's lacrosse back-to-back NCAA tournament. That's incredible. And certainly what Amy has done um, – you know, I joke with her. She should retire now. I mean, her career is incredible to be a head coach and what she's done the first couple of years. Uh, it's awesome. So I, I, I push back on that, and I think there's a few more people uh, walking around the deck, maybe a little swaggier than what you've described because uh, we know what we can accomplish because of what we have accomplished, and we're excited to see other champions in the hallway, whether it's a wrestler or women's lacrosse player or women's basketball player or men's basketball, right? We're speaking dragon, and part of speaking dragon is winning and competing for championships. Yeah, believe me, I'm with you, I'm, and I love the coach speak, like the crack shoulder, like PJ Fleck. He's the row of the boat guy too, right at Minnesota. I he love. Is, it. He's got a lot of stuff, and I, I don't know that I um, totally consume all of it, or but uh, I certainly listen to it, and I just I love the analogy to the point where when when uh, recruiting, I've handed a golf ball to a player and say, "This dented balls fly further." Yeah, and yeah, they, I'm fact checking that metaphor. Yeah, I'm not working. Yeah, wearing my polo, and I'm with you. I, I, you know, but hopefully, keep making those connections. I, you know, everybody walking out with their chests around, not just within the athletic department, 
how we kind of germinate that outside too. And we see how we build that, but I said, I got to go. I'll let you go. I don't even know what movie this is from, but I'll let you guys talk amongst yourselves, yourselves. <laughs> Coach again, thank you very much. And hope we do this again. So thanks, Nate. Look forward to talking to you and excited to get you into the deck and, and to see all of these renovations that are taking place right now this fall. Looking forward to it. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks, all right. Um, so, so that's uh, Nate. Got to go back to, to work a little bit, but we'll uh, we'll finish off here. And I I want to echo though real fast what you were saying um, because when you look at across the program what wrestling's done. I was actually watching a Philadelphia Union soccer game last night. I don't get to watch a lot of yeah, TV. Chris I Donovan, right? Going on. Chris Donovan checking into the yeah, game, right? Awesome, he, he's right? he's got his second MLS game in there, so you see a soccer player playing professionally here, and, and not only doing it professionally before a local team. Uh, you know, it, it's very cool to see um, this is uh, athletics coming coming a long way from when I was a student. I think a lot of people who are my vintage or older won't recognize campus when they come back. You know, a lot of them who haven't been there for five, ten years. You know, it is a totally different, um, totally different world. So I, I, I take what you say um, about the need to kind of put your chest out there. Right. I think there's been a lot of gains on campus, a lot of reasons to be proud to be a dragon right now that may not have been true 20 years ago. Um, and, and it's kind of cool. Uh, it, it's very cool to see, but that with that needs to be, you know, a winner's mentality, right? Which, which candidly wasn't on campus when I was there. Even when the basketball team was good, you weren't necessarily proud to be a dragon uh, because of, you know, the school didn't look great or this, that, and the other thing. You know, there was, the school was always getting after you. The Drexel shaft, right, was, was, was the thing talked about back then. You still heard that term used today, but less of well, that. Maybe right? you should There's been great progress. Parking. Maybe you should pay your parking tickets and the Drexel, Drexel shaft won't get after you as much. Never had a parking ticket, my man. But uh, um, yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 true. It, it's um, you know, it, yeah. I mean, the college experience is gonna be what you make of it. But there is, there's a lot of reasons to be very proud of what's going on right now. And now, obviously, with the DAC renovations, it should be exciting to, to come in there, see yourself on a jumbotron, and you know, uh, see some good basketball, catch the replay, so that now next time you get on Mike Eads or whoever's in the house wearing wearing stripes, you know, you can point up to the board and tell them, not not not, not just not just no. tell him how you feel about him, but give him. I'm not going to point to the board because that's an automatic technical foul. So uh, I'll be no, very. You, you probably shouldn't. I'm talking about the fans. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would hope. I would hope. Yeah. Um, I did see. I was looking at. I was looking at the uh, your bio on the website because I've met you before, and um, one of the pictures they got floating by. It's got the uh, a shot of you from the from the end of the floor, and uh, it's got the, I think the first names of the three officials of that game probably taped onto the side of the. The, uh, the the stanchion there, and uh, I, I got a kick out of that. But um, I, I only because I would go back to days brew and brew would used to yell at his staff, "What's his name? What's his name? What's his name?" Yeah. Yeah. And and for sure, you know, it was just always a, it was always fun to see how how uh, coaches do that. Yeah, that happens. But, we we put those names on there. I forget where we stole that from, but um, it's helpful. Anything you can do to have that connection. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it doesn't mean you're not. Hey, what's that guy's name? You're going down, but. Uh, you know, I, I think the the environment at the deck, regardless of who's calling the game, is going is going to be a great environment this fall. Yeah, and and so let me ask you, because um, I think a lot of the, the key word for you that I always think about is relationship, is connection, um, and I, I I get that. So um, of this incoming class, we're not going to cover a lot of the individuals and, and talk about the team next year quite yet. I want to talk about the, the changes in the CA. We talked about realignment a lot on this podcast. Um, and all that, but I think another time we'll, we'll try to get you back before the season starts, maybe once you once the team's a little more formed. Um, but um, 
my question here is kind of around recruiting and of the incoming group, which I think is, I want to say four freshmen, three transfers. Yes. Um, if we get those numbers right. Um, how many uh, of those people did you have pre-existing relationships with? Did you know their coaches beforehand? Did you know their people beforehand? You know, versus how many, you know, you kind of found through going to events and, and kind of created new relationships with? Uh, you know, I, I think that there's um, somewhat of a, a trend in college recruiting that people just go by numbers and analytics and say, that's who we should recruit, uh, especially in the portal. And hey, I need a guy that's a 6'3 guard, and he shoots this percentage and has this percentage, and the computer spits out a guy, and that's how you go recruit. Uh, and I, I, I do think that can be a helpful tool, uh, but I also know that uh, everyone has the same – analytic tools available to themselves. So um, I, I think all of these players, um, our staff has worked very aggressively into having good relationships. So would you say which one? Certainly, the, I think we all have very strong relationships with each of them, Dan. Um, what I would say is that um, some have been longer than others, but hopefully, uh, you know, I, I think the connection that someone that we've started to recruit this spring maybe from a junior college situation to someone that we've known for high school for a couple of years, um, that, that you can't always control. But I think everyone that is on campus and has come to Drexel is excited about being here uh, and for the connection they have with our staff, but also for the connection, for the opportunity to study at Drexel. And that's, that's what I see. So I'm not skirting your answer, but I think that if you had each of our incoming players whether it be a high school player or a transfer player i think that they would if you ask them they have a good connection with our coaching staff that they would feel in their process they do have a very strong relationship and connection but obviously certainly uh if a guy commits in the fall you have a longer relationship than someone who committed in the springtime yeah and i, I don't know that i asked the question well so so let me, let me take another shot at the apple probably not right. that's correct i did my best job to answer it for you <laughs> uh, you can answer bad questions since that's not on the answer. Um, it's basically, how do you find, how are you finding these recruits? Uh, um, you know, is it through through events? Is it through connections? Is it through, you know, what, what's kind of your, Venn, not Venn diagram, but. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think how you find recruits first and foremost is you find the right staff and then you let them go do their job, right? You let Will Chavis, Paul Fortier, and Justin Jennings go um, beat the bushes, if you will, and turn over every rock and stone and find a guy and then go from there. Um, and, and the number of players that maybe get to my desk is probably one to 10, the number of they're combing through and, hey, he's not OKG, let's move on, right? And we go to another guy, now, this guy is OKG, and then we keep going and we talk and have these relationships. So um, this spring was a very active spring. Um, and so uh, we're using every angle necessary, whether it's film, whether it's in-person recruiting, uh, whether it is home visits and spending time with families and, and, and the player and their families, there is every possible angle we're using because we're trying to be thorough. Um, you only have 13 full scholarships and you want to make them count and you want to make them, you want to make sure that they're speaking dragon before they get on campus. No, it's, it's great, and, and 
so we're, we're happy to see see the roster get filled out and some exciting names and, and, and get to meet these get to meet these young men as they since on, you asked that question twice I want to be sure that we got a good answer for you there is that is that acceptable we're gonna we're gonna take that one we're gonna, we're gonna take that one we'll, we'll edit out the other one okay we will, not, we will not do such a thing um no I appreciate it um I have another COVID year question. I, I go back to um, you talked um, on a couple of your prior appearances, really about you know the the fifth year team of fifth year seniors who beat the one and dones, right? And and kind of um, you know that, that's now uh, that's not going to be harder, right? Obviously, uh, um, with, with without the with, without people sitting uh, quite as much for transferring, um, you're not going to see as many fifth years once the COVID year goes away. Um, is there, um, is there any thought towards recruiting an older player? I mean, you know, it's, it's funny because in the professional level, youth is always kind of what you hear about the NBA level. You want Jason Tatum at 19 or whatever, you know, but versus somebody at 23 coming in to, to the NBA. But in this case, do you maybe, is there, is there a thought towards trying to recruit an older recruit? Well, I think Mike Bray is, is most well known for saying this statement. Um, and it's get older and stay older. And that I think that is the name of the game in college athletics right now. Uh, what, quote, older means as opposed to what it mean, meant prior to the pandemic is a little different because literally you're talking about a 23, potentially 24-year-old senior. <laughs> uh, and you, That's a little different than someone coming in at 17 and turning 22, uh, you know, somewhere in their senior year. So, uh, you know, there, there are guys that are going to have – a sixth year of eligibility, potentially a seventh. It's just what it is. Uh, I know Jarvis Doles uh, started out at Drexel, uh, went to Albany, and now he's going to UMBC, and he's starting his doctorate. So he's on his third school, and that's an example of it. Um, he's going to be an older player in that league for that team. So um, I do think what Coach Bray says is very accurate, and – does that mean you take a junior college player who was a great student who somehow, some way, really got squeezed because of the pandemic? Uh, but I think there are a lot of different avenues to getting older and staying older right now, especially with the one year, uh, excuse me, with the one time transfer where you can transfer right away and play. So that's certainly something you want to evaluate, but I think you've got to have balance. Right. You can't just say, hey, we're going to go all transfers uh, and all college transfers from other schools. Uh, and, and then, you know, it's kind of like you look at maybe the Major League Baseball model. All right. You guys still got to have a farm system. You still got to have a good farm system where you're bringing people in um, in the natural process from high school to college. And they contribute as a freshman and they, and, and they get a little bit of experience and then they get motivated to work hard and they come and grow and they love their experience and they're not transferring out. You know, I, I would challenge the numbers of in our league, the number of players that we have lost in an undergraduate world with eligibility is very small, very, very small. Xavier Bell left this year and he went back to his hometown. OK, um, there have not and, and there have not been many other guys leave where you've had a lot of schools and a lot of turnover at different schools in our league. Um, and if we're able to be on the right end of that and the guys are having a good experience, um, academically and they're doing things well and, and from a fan perspective they're enjoying the process uh, maybe that allows them to stay those years three and four and you get the benefit 
of them being in your program, speaking dragon the whole time, and then their leaders. And certainly we've got that with Lamar Odin, uh, Mate Okris, and Coltrane Washington, Luke House right now. It's a nice little core you've got. I left about five minutes for the one hour long question to end with, uh, which is uh, NIL, right? Uh, I think conceptually a lot of fans know what it is, but um, what what is it at, I was going to say in the CAA, but at Drexel, what does that look like right now? You know, it's funny you say a one hour question. I would say that's a little bit low. Um, we could talk forever. Uh, Pete Thamel is a guy who is a, is a well-known um, sports journalist and uh, had a chance to spend some time with him during the NCAA tournament. And he said he could literally write full time about NIL and nothing else, and he would never run out of content. Um, that gives you an idea of someone who covers college athletics and different sports and how much it is just kind of washed over. So um, it's, it's certainly evolving. I think the NCAA has already talked about they're investigating some areas of NIL usage or inappropriate usage of it. So we're really just at, at this, I, I don't want to say a crossroads, but we're just at this, we've evolved into this different version of college athletics than we were really two years ago. Um, and so we've added so many different things, Dan. Um, and I think we're very early on in the process of what NIL truly is going to become. Um, but I can tell you, um, different schools are handling it different ways. Some people are hiring a brand manager and that's their sole job is to manage the brand in the NIL market for their student athletes. All right. Uh, some coaches have fired assistant coaches and are hiring people just to examine the portal in the NIL space, right? And some people are really leaning on, you know, maybe departments outside of the basketball staff to help in NIL world, all right? No one way is wrong or right, uh, but I can tell you um, to, to be a little bit transparent, some of those examples are happening in the CAA and, uh, doesn't mean we need to follow that lead because some of them aren't appropriate, but we need to be aware. And uh, that's where I'm excited with uh, Maisha leading our athletic department. Um, she's been proactive since the day she set on campus. Uh, NIL has become a thing, and uh, I think she's aware of the changing landscape and knows what needs to be done for Drexel to be relevant and have a seat at the table uh, in the recruiting process. And I'm very confident uh, she's going to continue with her staff of Nick and Mary and the rest of her administration to, to move us forward in that area. So is, is um, from a Drexel standpoint, is NIL kind of being run through the administration there, or I know you have an opening on your staff. Is that something that's going to be, um, you know, your staff is going to take some ownership of how, how does that look? Yeah, I, I want to do what's really along the lines, and I don't want to have any gray area for anything to be interpreted as inappropriate from an NIL standpoint with the NCAA and compliance. So um, while uh, we have reimagined the opening we have on our staff, um, I think it is more for what's making our staff and positioning uh, everybody to operate the most efficient way and also adding um, – you know, maybe a layer of uh, oversight to non-traditional recruiting avenues because there's more of those areas than there's ever been before. 
um, whether it be junior college qualifiers, whether it be other colleges, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. Um, that certainly is an area that you can find a way to get older and have experience in your basketball program. But again, I go back to it. They need to be OKG. And I've mentioned that earlier in the podcast. They got to be our kind of guy. If they're not our kind of guy, it doesn't work. And uh, we're very mindful of that. And we take great pride in, in our core values to our program. We talk a lot about gratitude, respect, compete, appreciating the opportunity, respecting the process to be great, putting the work in to be great, and then being at your best. And I say that because um, we can have all these different um, auxiliary um, ways for young men to be motivated to be a Division One athlete, but at the end of the day, it's about fit. Do they fit your program? It doesn't matter whether you're at whatever level you want to say, high, mid, low, Division two, Division three. You want people that are breathing the culture of what you have. And if you can uh, talk about gratitude, respect, and compete and show those ways, then, then you're speaking dragon, and that's what we want to be about. Well, Coach, I, I appreciate your time. I, I know scheduling this is fun. It's uh, three fathers of young children on top of three people with different business schedules. So uh, we really, uh, really appreciate you taking the time and finding that for us. And, and we'll try to get you back uh, before the season starts. Yeah, talk more to CAA, talk more in depth about the roster and, and help meet these new players. Um, it's an exciting year, exciting time of change. Um, we'll miss Cam Winter, certainly, and, and uh, his classmates who left quite an impact and I think have brought you up. Um, not brought you up, but you and them have brought this team and this program to another level from when they came in. Um, so it's great to see progress and it's great to, to watch it continue. And we appreciate everything you're doing for the program. Thanks so much, Dan. Um, that is a great group and they'll forever be remembered as a group. Team 123 at Drexel, 123 years of basketball to have brought a championship home. Uh, Cam Winter, Tim Perry, Zach Walton, James Butler, Matej Jurich. Uh, a number of the guys that made those winning plays in the conference tournament. And uh, that legacy is set. It's not going to change. And it's now something for our program to aspire to achieve again and to work their butts off to get there. And I, I can tell you, we've got a very hungry group uh, because we don't have many guys that played a big role in that run. And now they want to do it themselves. Well, I'm excited to be back at the deck this winter to, to see it happen. And I, I hope uh, I'm joined by many others. Uh, again, I appreciate your time, and you have a great, uh, great afternoon. Sounds good, Dan. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you soon.